0: Welcome to the Health and Wealth Podcast, that's W-E-L-L-T-H, because real wealth is your health. Yes, we changed the name because more people were requesting health, performance, and self-improvement content over our original business content. I just interviewed Mihail at Ancestral Cosmetics Skin Company. He is an entrepreneur in Dublin, Ireland, and if you are putting traditional skincare products on your face, you're killing yourself. Check out his website, Ancestral Cosmetics. We talk all about banned substances, what glycerin actually is, and how to put things on your face and skin that actually make you healthy. Such an amazing interview. Mihail, I cannot thank you enough for doing this interview. Guys, you're going to love this. And welcome back to the Health and Wealth Podcast, because health is real wealth. Thanks, guys. So you're also a father of four kids.
1: I am, yes.
0: What do you have, boys and girls?
1: Uh, I have three girls and a boy.
0: Okay. okay.
1: So my, my oldest is uh, 13 and the youngest is six. Okay. So quite close. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a great fun with them. It's never boring with, with four. You, you as well have four, so you probably know, you know, it's a great fun. It's
0: fun. It's wild. Uh, <laughs> my oldest is six. So I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and my twins are two.
1: Oh, my God. So that, That's even more
0: fun. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. So, yeah. Mihail, Michael, tell me how you started or what was your motivation for Ancestral Cosmetics?
1: So, Ancestral Cosmetic is kind of a brand that started as a result of my personal need, I guess. I started to, to switch my own products. I started, I'm like, you know, what's what's the most obvious thing that's the most toxic that I'm using? So I started with, with with the obvious ones like shower gels and you switch for a natural soap and then you, you you see toothpaste, so you want to switch toothpaste and then you see the lotion and the moisturizer and you want to switch that. So it basically took me on this journey where I uh, realized that, OK, you start to search for an alternative and all of these natural brands pop up and then you start to look into those. And what, what really motivated me is when I Realize that all these natural brands are not really fully natural because this natural became kind of a marketing slogan, which brands use to say, okay, we are natural. But when you actually look at their ingredients, like a good 50% of them is not natural or is kind of half natural. And the products are not really more effective compared to what you can buy in a, in a random grocery store. You just basically end up paying a higher price for a worse product. So I'm like, you know, there must be a better way to do this. And I started researching all, all these ingredients. I really looked into history, you know, what, what ancient Egyptians use, what ancestors in different cultures use across the world. And that, that basically led me to beef tallow as one of the main ingredients in, in almost every single soap in the history, in almost every single ocean in, in the history, wherever people had access to, to beef and uh, to, to ruminants, they, they used animal fats like tallow, they used lard as well, uh, which is a fat from the pigs. So all of these animal fats were basically used in soaps, in body lotions, in creams, in, in in everything they use. So Cleopatra used a cream that's that's made from beef fat, like probably like five, six thousand years ago, uh, and it was quite complex. So it wasn't just you know you melt the beef fat and you put it on your face, but quite a complex recipes and process and essential oils that they mixed in, quite quite similar to the Taliban that I produce now as well. Okay,
0: it's so interesting. On your website you say that most of the Natural products for the big companies are less effective, more expensive, and they're just water and glycerin. But they say it's organic because yeah. the coconut oil is organic before it goes in. But everything on the other side is not.
1: Absolutely. So yeah. What is glycerin? Great, great that you bring that up. Yeah. What is what is yeah, glycerin?
0: So,
1: glycerin is basically. It, it, first, to, to you know, to clarify, I don't think glycerin is necessarily toxic or anything. It's Quite beneficial for the skin. The problem with glycerin is really uh, the majority of uh, glycerin that commercially is available today and that's used in skincare. It's basically a byproduct of biodiesel production, which is where they take a lot of uh, different cheap seed oils, as they're called on the internet in the in this you know popular culture now. So basically, that's like grape seed oil or canola or sunflower, those kind of oils. Uh, which are a base product, which they then turn in a, in a chemical process into this biodiesel, which is a fuel then for different trucks and things that, uh, that use it. Uh, and one of the byproducts of that process is this glycerin, which is then used in a lot of skincare. And whenever brands say they use vegetable glycerin, this is what they refer to. So they, it's basically made from vegetables, which is sunflower or rapeseed or, or different kinds of vegetables that are produced for this uh, oil. So basically, this is just a cheap byproduct, and it's 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 a, not as toxic as you know petrolatum or different ingredients like that, but it's certainly not as beneficial as completely natural things like beef tallow uh, that are much better and full of vitamins, minerals, provide much much greater benefits for the skin.
0: So, if I'm understanding this correctly, when they're making fuel, you said for tractors, a byproduct yes. is this glycerin. And then they package that byproduct into the lotion that we're putting on our faces exactly how could anyone yeah. ever buy skin products again knowing that
1: <laughs> exactly yeah there's a lot of a lot of things on the ingredients list when you, you know when you go into those things that they use that they put you know it's always the smallest font that they use on the ingredients list and it's a good reason for that because a lot of those things are toxic they're even if they're not toxic so glycerin for example it's not specifically toxic, but it's not particularly beneficial either. It's just a cheap thing that that is a big, big like kind of filler in a in a product. You need a lot more. That, that's I think you know the, the main result is you need a lot more of the product to get the same result. Because if you take the, the tallow balms that are made from beef tallow, you just need a tiny little amount compared to a normal glycerin and water cream where you spread basically a lot of water and yeah. glycerin.
0: So what are the ingredients, your most selling product is the tallow, the beef tallow, the first one on your website, is that the? Yeah, that, that's,
1: that's kind of the first product that started it all, uh, which is basically a tallow and honey balm. Okay. So it's a mix of beef tallow, olive oil, honey, beeswax, and then some essential oils uh, that are each uniquely beneficial for the skin. That, that is definitely the best seller, so it's a, it's a big hit.
0: So how are you making this? You live on a farm, right? Oh, no, you don't
1: no i live in a in a state nothing on a farm oh i thought i saw
0: a <laughs> post on instagram that you lived on a farm with your kids okay i'm a mistake then where do you source all the materials for your products uh
1: so i'm located in dublin currently and i am sourcing my beef fat uh from a local butcher which gets it from one single farm that is completely regenerative practices, raising beef without any additive, without any grain fed or anything. So basically it's Irish beef, which is in Ireland is full of grass. You know, to give you the context, everything is green, that's grass. And uh, basically beef and the cows are outside most of the year where they eat just grass. There's plenty of it. And it's the cheapest thing for farmers. So that's why, you know, when they say Irish beef is good that's what people mean and quite often you see you know Irish butter as as being kind of highest quality and those kind of things it's for that same reason so beef are basically the cows are outside the whole day they eat the grass and that's the main main diet so this farm i get is from it's a local farm on the outskirts of dublin and uh, their beef is completely raised on the grass and then maybe you know month or two when they're closed up because it's too cold outside they get only the hay and the fermented grass, which which they eat. So there's nothing else. There's no grains or anything else in their diet. So it's 100% grass-fed uh, animals. So, so basically, I source I source fat from from those cows. I melt it at home, uh, using a special process. So you don't feel uh, when you use it in cosmetics, you don't want to just melt it uh, as you normally would. So there's a different process where you basically filter it with a with a bit of water and salt to to kind of get rid of that uh, beefy smell so it's much more pleasant when you use it in a product when you spread it on your face and all that
0: are you doing this in your kitchen
1: pretty much so far yeah okay
0: so in a <laughs>
1: it's been a lot yeah it's growing so far so yeah kitchen is okay for now but I think we're gonna have to move out soon
0: like move out of your house or move to a facility to
1: no I mean move out from the kitchen into into a bigger space because yeah kitchen is getting too small when
0: did you start what year did you start the company uh
1: we started uh Oh, uh, it's probably two months ago we started selling. Okay, it's not around two months now, yeah, made of February. I'm
0: assuming you're getting a lot of business though, because everyone I've told about these products want to buy more of it.
1: Yeah, it, it's been great. I'm very happy with with you know uh, how it's going so far. And what what makes me most happy is you know people coming back. uh, People buy it once they use it for it's been two months so you know after a month when you get a return order the same customer that comes back after a month and buys more of the same thing I think that that's that's, a, that's the best thing for me and a, and a signal that you know you're doing the right thing obviously with, with the reviews and everything I'm, I'm very happy with the with the people the way people are accepting
0: well how could you not come back the options are tractor oil or organic beef <laughs> tallow and honey that so do you eat a specific diet that's similar to your skincare products because on your website you mentioned that you cook with the same oils for your kids
1: exactly yeah so basically the same the same fat that we melt i always get uh the best and that's an interesting thing i always get the best batches that i have for the product and then the worst ones that i'm kind of not fully happy with them i leave those for cooking <laughs> so we cook with the same tallow basically at home uh whatever it is you know whether you, you make a stew or you see our steak tallow is one of the best fats uh, to cook with so the same thing as we use okay
0: and do you follow a specific diet like a paleo diet or carnivore diet
1: no not really it's uh i'm eating everything basically in the in the family we are all kind of with with kids they eat everything as well. No, nothing special, nothing specific. We do try to. Uh, we always kind of, as a family, try to eat more clean foods. And what I mean by that is, not buy the food in the packaging, and to buy as little of those as possible, and to basically get, you know, get the fruit, get the vegetables, get the meat, and then prepare the food on on our own at home. It is, and I think that that's really the key to to kind of get the cleanest the cleanest food that you can.
0: It is difficult with four kids to eat a really healthy, clean, I mean, you know, you had young kids when they're going crazy, like you convert right back to snacks just to kind of like settle them down.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So I read on your website that you've been blogging since 2009.
1: That's right. Yeah. I've been on the internet for a long time. I've been a, a blogger on like mostly tech kind of geeky related things, you know, the applications, iPhones, gadgets, those kind of things. I was really into that since I was in college, uh, that was back in 2009, I think, when I started the, the, the blog. And that was crazy. I blogged for years. I think it's still probably online, the, the, my first blog, which is in Croatian. So it's a good thing people want to understand what I was writing. <laughs> <laughs> originally from Croatia, so you, you want to understand and That's a good thing you don't want to see. I, I don't want to read those, you know, when, when you were in college, like probably what was that almost 15 years ago? You don't want to come back and read because we change so so much over the years and you know with kids and everything it really changes you as a, as a person and, and your views on the world and everything
0: how old are you now
1: and then from there we we also like uh we, my wife and i we have a parenting magazine as well that's also in creation uh and it's quite popular there so we, we write a lot about you know attachment parenting uh different ways to, to raise the kids and all of those things as
0: well well let's talk about that because that's very interesting So how are you raising your kids different than maybe the traditional Irish way of raising kids?
1: That's an interesting one. So so basically, uh, the the main focus is this what's called attachment parenting, where you don't apply, you know, the traditional cry it out and time out methods or or punishments or those kind of things, which quite a few people would uh, use to this day. Uh, but instead you connect with your kids in a way where you, instead, you know, saying to the kid, you know, you are in timeout, go to your room, those kind of things. You come closer. You see what, what is the emotion that your child is feeling and you try to empathize with them and, and see why are they feeling that and you know, what's behind that emotion and to kind of try to connect. Because the, the whole logic of this, uh, parenting method is that kids want to connect with their parents. And they want to be close to us as much as possible, which is especially, you know, you you know, with the young kids, they always want to be on your lap. They always want to be close to you. So it's really that that's the core point of it uh, to come close to the closer to the kids and not push them away with timeouts, with punishments, with all of those with all of those things.
0: What motivated you to explore this kind of parenting?
1: This was all my wife, I take no credit there. (laughs) She was, you know, when 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 like, uh, when she was pregnant with her first, uh, that was back in probably 20, 20, 2010, around that time, 2010, 2011, she was really into it and she was looking, you know, I guess when you start with your first kid, you are kind of completely lost. So like, what, what do I do? Uh, how, how do we raise this child into a person and, and, you know, all that. And she was really into this. She was researching, reading books, really going in depth with that. And she started some Facebook groups that were a big deal back then about those kind of new ways at the time uh, that was all back in Croatia when we, when we lived there. And uh, that's how one thing led to another. We, we started to go into that more and more. And you always, you know, you talk with, with the wife and two of us kind of talked about it a lot. The group grew that she started on Facebook. So there was an interest from people. And I was like, you know, maybe we should start writing a blog or something like that me coming from the blogging kind of background. I was like, you know, natural thing, start writing a blog, see what people think. And it was, it was great. It was a good hit. And we started writing the, the blog in probably 2015, 2016. And still going to this day, it's quite popular, uh, quite popular magazine.
0: What's the name of the magazine?
1: It's in Croatian, but basically means like a modern parenting. Uh, quite simple, kind of to, to, to basically say that it's a modern way to to raise kids this way. It's a better way than, you know, the traditional punishments and all of those.
0: Is it at all translated in English?
1: Uh, No, it's all all in Croatian, but yeah, I guess you can probably use the Google Translate to to read those.
0: Okay, I'd love for you to send me an article or something. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I will share the link.
0: Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. So then what is the traditional parenting? compared to the traditional parenting, more like a dictatorship. And this is more of a Republic, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, it's something like that. So a lot of things, uh, it goes from, you know, the, 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 things that are obviously bad, like, uh, the physical violence or punishment, uh, but also things like timeouts where you kind of push your kids away instead of pulling them towards you. So I think that, that that's the main point of it. You don't want to push your kids away. You don't want to apply punishments and 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 take away you know privileges, uh. But rather connect with the kid and see why some behavior is happening. It's basically, look at the root cause that's behind the certain behavior, rather than just behavior itself. And like you know, if you're screaming, you know, you're punished. But rather, why are you screaming? And then kind of try to look why and and try to see is there a reason to fix it? Because obviously. When you when you come to the root cause of something it's much easier to fix it rather than just trying to fix the symptoms so it's it's basically the the, the root cause a kind of approach i call it to, to parenting
0: it's very akin to your cosmetic company where you're trying to find maybe the root cause of skin issues or the root cause of health same thing for parenting so in this parenting style it's not that you're not correcting or punishing your kid but is it that you're not isolating them or you're not withdrawing love from them because that can cause more damage long term pretty much yeah okay
1: pretty much so you're connecting your you're it's really a lot of uh, open communication so like talking with them what do they feel what do they want why you know why something is happening why do they think they need to do something or why why you know if you don't want to allow them or give them something why you're not doing it and and kind of explain yourself and explain your reasoning for parenting and what we've seen over the years is really that kids understand more and they are capable of understanding more than we give them credit for because a lot of people i go crazy when i see people you know with the kids in the store and 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 things and they kind of talk down to their kids like oh yeah you're a good boy and basically treating a child like a dog i call it uh but i think we should treat kids as equals to us and From my personal experience, whenever we treat our kids like that, we've always had them understand and come up and and, and show the emotional ability to understand more complex things that we we kind of think that they are capable of.
0: How does, have you talked to any other Americans about this parenting style? Because in America, there's a huge concern of what's called like helicopter parenting or smothering, where we're almost treating the kids too high on a pedestal and becoming too entitled but this is totally different this is treating them as equals yes. and finding the root cause what do your american friends think about this
1: i haven't talked a lot with, with with a lot of american friends about it uh but i know it's it's quite popular method in u.s around the world in in the western world as well uh there is i think it's dr william sears is one of the main proponents of uh, the parenting and there's a a lot of books that he has on the on the whole parenting system and everything
0: okay so are your kids homeschooled
1: they are, are. yeah we are homeschooled they've
0: been homeschooled since the beginning
1: not really so we we are homeschooling since 2020 probably when uh, when the COVID hit they were in school until then but then we were like okay you know now with, with the COVID and, and and closed schools were closed for quite a few months uh and then everything was quite restricted with uh, with masking and it was quite different experience, I think, for the kids in the schools to, to kind of go and there was lack of that social connection. And, you know, whenever I say to someone that we homeschool, the first question that everyone has is like, what about socializing kids? And are they not going to be alone and everything? And I'm like, oh, quite the opposite. We, we kind of, that, that was the reason we started homeschooling, because school lacked this uh, social interaction. I was like, it's not really good to send kids to school because they were playing in their little kind of bubbles or groups. They were isolated. They couldn't play with who they want. They were just, you know, paired with maybe two or three kids and they had to play with those kids. I was like, no way we're we doing this. And we, we kind of always wanted to homeschool. So this was a really good uh, way to start. And we never looked back. It's great. We love it. Kids love it. Uh They meet regularly with other homeschooled kids and they're very social, much more social than they, they ever were
0: i find that when i meet homeschool kids now because my kids are six through two that almost like the homeschool kids are maybe more articulate or they look you more in the eyes when they talk to you i think if you do it right which you seem to be they're not lacking social skills they actually have more social skills so do you find other parents at homeschool and that's how you connect the kids
1: pretty much yeah so there are different groups like facebook or or instagram or you kind of connect with different parents and then based on where you live there's local meetups so it's usually once per week but we we arrange meetups whenever kind of people are are happy to meet and then we basically meet and kids play and i think you know what's good with that is that in school kids are always same age in same class and they play with the same kids in homeschooler meetups you, you have kids that are you know four that they're not even, you know, still legally in school or anything. And they play with teenagers that are maybe 12, 13. So kids are much more used to playing and interacting with kids that are not their own age. So they're, I think they're easy, much easier to connect to to adults, to to different kids of different age and and much more social in general. They they know about themselves, what they want.
0: I think that's so important. Do you know who Michael Coomer is? He's a blogger. He, he was on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. He homeschools his kids and he described it the same way you did, where you have a four year old, a ten year old, and a thirteen year old, and they all interact. And that's actually more natural how our brains evolved than to be like stuck in a room with a bunch Mm -hmm. of six year olds at one time. Exactly.
1: So how do you structure that's the main benefit?
0: How do you structure the day with your kids then? What's a normal day look like?
1: It's pretty much driven, but what they want to do, there there is we use uh, this uh, online curriculum uh, that's kind of on oh no, a UK, like this is the base that you need to do. So you kind of they have this expectation of really doing something. That that's our approach. I know some people have a different different approach as well on that. But we have this approach where they have this base minimum that they need to do to, to their curriculum, which probably takes them about hour, two hours per day, depending on, on what they do it. But we leave it to them to to kind of organize their own time. So some days they'll be like, I'll do double today. So tomorrow I don't have to do anything because I want to play the whole day. So it's pretty pretty much flexible. And and they, what I really like is that they plan their own days. And even at the early age, they start to kind of play and plan their own activities and what they want to do. And they're kind of, it, it's what they started. You know, I want to do my 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 work, my curriculum for for this week in two days, and then I have three days free because I want to play for the for the rest of the week.
0: You broke up a little bit, right? Can you hear me right here?
1: I do, yeah. I think it's breaking up the connection. I'm okay Okay, now, I think I hear you. Um,
0: So I think what you're teaching your kids is how to be self-starters and independently critical thinkers. And I'm not sure how the schools are in Ireland, but in my opinion, the public schools in America just teach you to be a sheep and an employee. And you're doing the complete opposite
1: exactly exactly how yeah. are, ireland is the same it's same like, thing yeah. yeah
0: is that how the, so the public schools in ireland basically they teach you to work a nine to five when you get out and follow the rules
1: pretty much yeah following the rules is the main thing from you know whenever they come into the school premises even in the yard it's like following the rules that that's the number one thing
0: yeah and then that's so great your kids are so lucky to have you that they're being homeschooled and teach how to be independent thinkers so yeah
1: we love it it. with
0: independent thinking you made a comment on your website that the skin industry is dominated by eight companies tell me about that yes yes
1: so basically there's these eight giant corporations that control almost everything that is sold in a grocery store uh so basically the giant the giant corporations that have relationship with every single lead, retailer whether it's offline stores uh or online so a lot of it i'd say you know probably 90% or more is funding back to all of these eight corporations whether it's they still have brands and they basically what happens is if you have a hugely successful natural cosmetics company they will approach you they will try to buy the brand and then they keep your brand but the money flows to the corporation, to the, to the parent entity, basically.
0: I wonder if they change the ingredients once they buy that other, they They do. do. Okay.
1: They do. So I think birds bees is an interesting one when Clorox bought them, uh, they, they had good ingredients, but they started, but they start adding, they start adding these cheap fillers, uh, like sunflower oil and, you know, those kind of cheap ingredients, because, well, they optimize for they optimize for profit and for scalability. So in in a big scale and searching for the profit as the main goal of everything, they just look, okay, what are the cheapest ingredients that we can put in our products? And that's where they start. So even if it's a small, maybe, you know, 10% change in the price of the ingredient, it's still a big deal. If it's a huge, huge scale on a, on a, on a global level.
0: I had no idea that Clorox bought Burt's Bees yeah oh my gosh
1: it went it went downhill from from the moment it happened yeah
0: yeah not downhill from the profits of the original owners but down downhill for the quality of the product quality so is the shelf life shorter in your products
1: no it's pretty good so tallow is is quite stable and i also add beeswax which helps to you know tallow is on its own can be especially if it's a warm weather it can be softer so a bit of beeswax really helps to kind of stabilize it. So when you when you have the texture, it, it, it's pretty much similar to any kind of moisturizer or cream that you would have, maybe a little bit harder than, you know, kind of normal water-based creams, but uh, pretty much stable on, on all that. Okay.
0: So what drew me to you originally, I'm a dentist, I'm not sure if you know that. Um, and the, the first and the- video that popped up, you said toothpaste sucks. So <laughs> tell me why toothpaste sucks. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think th- that one went pretty viral on TikTok. A couple of hundred thousand <laughs> yeah, views I and a different kind of comments, uh, because it was um, it was about basically the whole video about seven ingredients that are present in almost every toothpaste. You know, whether common like the grocery store brands or even the ones that are called natural, and glycerin again being the main one as well. So, <laughs> so the
0: what is the sodium yeah? lauryl sulfate you talk about?
1: So, sodium laurel sulfate, basically a common detergent, the thing that makes the toothpaste foam uh, that's found in anything. So, like body wash, dishwashing liquid, all of those things are kind of based on the SLS or sodium laurel sulfate. And it's just the making the, the toothpaste foam it doesn't really provide any benefits at all. Just the foam, the, 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 the soaping thing.
0: Everything you're telling me, it sounds like the traditional products are just like byproducts. Of something else that's not healthy at all for humans so tell me about your alternative yeah. to toothpaste
1: so my alternative is basically the tooth powder and the the, the reason why is exactly this sodium lauryl sulfate and and the soaping mechanism of the whole toothpaste is the, the the common toothpaste is basically full filled with cheap byproducts and as you said it's Decades of iteration on squeezing out a single digit percent, maybe, you know, per year of profit basically led to to all of these cheap ingredients being in the toothpaste with maybe the tiniest amount of active ingredients that actually do and and, and provide any benefit. So the the solution is really the tooth powder that I did uh, create after several months of testing. I think it was the, the most tested product that I have. Uh, where it took several months, tested it early with, with a lot of our friends. And then this whole regulatory thing in the EU as well, where basically I don't want to digress too much, but it's, it's a whole thing where you need to every single ingredient that you want to have in your product. You need to have a paperwork for them and the safety reports for that ingredient. And then once you put it all together in your product, you need to share your recipe with a certified chemist that then. Does a different analysis on a product to say, you know, is it safe? Is it beneficial? Can you claim certain things? There's a whole, whole kind of regulatory thing that you need to do. So basically, the tooth powder that I, that I produce is based on the eggshell powder. So literal eggshells that are grinded down into, into a powder. And it's a very interesting ingredient because eggshells are a natural source of hydroxyapatite, which you probably know, you know, is, is highly beneficial for teeth. And that's the main ingredient in the powder. And then I have, there's eight ingredients in total. You know, I don't want to spend all the time to, to kind of cover each one, uh, but there's uh, activity charcoal, there's xylitol, which is a birch uh, sugar that's kind of tapped from the birch trees. Uh, and a lot of different things like peppermint leaf, magnesium chloride, a lot of, lot of things that are uniquely, what, what I aimed for is basically to create an alkaline environment in the mouth to prevent the, the bad bacteria and then to try to get as much of the benefit to remineralize the teeth and to effectively clean them so that that, that was the that
0: point. agency that you talk about is that the equivalent to america's fda
1: pretty much so each country in europe has their own uh like a cosmetics regulator and there is the same set of rules in the entire eu where you have there's, I think, two and a half thousand, close to two and a half thousand ingredients that are banned, so you can't use any of those. In the U.S., it's quite interestingly FDA banned, I think, only eleven ingredients. Wait, say that again. So
0: in the EU, <laughs> now I'm like nervous. What am I using? In the EU, they ban yeah. how many ingredients?
1: Uh, close to two and a half two, thousand. I think twenty-five hundred. Two, I think it was last time I checked, two thousand four hundred and ninety-five. And
0: in America, how many do they ban? It's only oh my 11. gosh! What t- what are some of the major yeah. ones they're banning in EU that I'm using every day?
1: It's it's a lot of things. A lot of them are different preservatives, which are which are kind of found to be toxic. Uh, different. Uh, I'm not sure now, you know, top top of my mind, but uh, there's a whole list. I have a whole thread on Twitter, and I think it's on my blog as well. Uh, some of the ingredients that are uh, banned, but basically. EU is much more strict in terms of something that they have. They basically do the research and say, okay, you know, this is proven to be carcinogenic. We're just gonna ban it, and it goes to this list. And there's this whole massive database that that you can search for for every ingredient that's banned. While the US is much more kind of leaving it to the to the industry to say, you know, you don't want to use these, and and it's up to you, obviously, as a producer, whether you want to include it in your product or not.
0: Wow, I'm not sure how I feel about that. So the U S government leaves it up to these corporations that don't really care about us to put these products. So for your banned substances, who is it? The government that researched all these and banned them or who did that?
1: So it's done on the EU level. So this is European, I think, uh, I'm not sure what it's called. It's, it's an agency basically at the EU level that maintains the database and updates regularly, so everything that gets banned gets in the database. And then if you want to basically put a new cosmetic product, whether it's something like a toothpaste or a shower gel or a cream, lotion, whatever it is, uh, you need to have uh, what is called a product safety report. Where all of these ingredients that you put in are analyzed and if they are banned, obviously, you can not get a a legal uh, document that says you're legally allowed to sell it. And obviously the fines and everything will, will follow for sure then.
0: So the chemist that you go to, is he employed by the government to scan, like go over your product?
1: No, no. So these are basically the, the private companies that offer this kind of regulatory service. So you basically hire them, you pay the fee that they have, and you give them all the details that they ask for every single ingredient for your recipe, and then they analyze it. And there's some other testing as well that can be done depending on, on what you have in a product.
0: So how much does that cost you to bring one of your products to this type of chemist to get it approved for use in Ireland?
1: Depends really what you want to do. So basic, I think basic, just the report. So basically, you know, go over the ingredients, uh, for one product and then kind of produce this report. I think it's a couple hundred, uh, euro, which is similar in dollars, pretty much a bit less, maybe. Uh, and then depending if you need, so if you have water, if you have, uh, different, depending on the ingredients and on the product, they might need different testing. And this can be something that's like a simple microbiological test to see, you know, do you have any, any microbes or bacteria or mold or whatever in the product? But it can also be what's called stability testing, which can take up to three months or six months where your product basically stays for three months on a, on three different temperatures. And then after three months and during that time, it's analyzed whether how it, how the product behaves on those temperatures along the time. So. It can go to thousands per product to 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 basically put just one product on the market i was lucky i don't have any water in my product, so i didn't have to do a lot of those kind of stability tests and those things so it was a couple hundred basically per, per product which is okay
0: wow and then how long does the test if you're not doing a stability test how fast did you hear back from this agency
1: the minimum i think is six weeks uh to, like no complications, straightforward case, you have all the paperwork, you know everything is perfect on your side that I think that's the minimum six weeks from the moment I send it to them until I hear back like okay, you know you can sell now. And then obviously the labels where you put on your product this whole regulation for that. So how you list the ingredients that's why you have when you look at the every European product you have all these uh, Latin names, which are call INSI name, international kind of uh, names for each ingredient. And you can just list them any way you want you need to list them in a certain way and you need to list them with these INCI names for each single ingredient and there's a whole lot of other you know um there, there's a lot of companies that just have the main business they do is this regulatory testing for for compliance of cosmetics
0: so where do you find these rules on how to list your ingredients and how do you list the ingredients in your products uh so
1: basically there's Every country, Ireland has this uh, cosmetic regulator. They have a website and it's quite good and they have guides and, and give you all the information that you need. So it's not that you're completely lost. It's, the, guides are, the, the guides are quite good. So you still have some support and you can, you know, go into it and see, okay, what do I need to do? I have this guide and then you kind of follow it, different checklists and things that you can do. And basically, you just want to make sure that you follow all the rules because otherwise, you're in trouble. So yeah, listing the ingredients, I think you need to start with the with the one that you have most in the product, and it kind of goes down from there.
0: How do you feel about? Because I'm like, I'm like kind of put back right now. Um, would Would you rather <laughs> run a business in America where there's less regulations, or run a business in Ireland where there's more regulations?
1: I think it's definitely easier to run a business in America because you, you basically create a product and you sell it and it's, you know, it's up to the consumers and the market to decide whether whether your product is any good, whether they want to buy it and, and all that. But in terms of cosmetics, I think Europe and European products are definitely safer because you have a lot of these brands that are great in America and that are, you know, really taking care that they have great ingredients and great products. Every brand wants that. Because that, you know, means that you have happy customers and, and good products long term, but you can also much easier if you are, if you're not thinking about it, and if you just want to, you know, make a quick buck, it's much easier in the US to, to sell something that's bad, that, that's moldy or whatever than, than it is in Europe.
0: I guess the question would be, you kind of already answered it. You'd rather be a consumer than in Ireland than a consumer. Absolutely. Wow.
1: Absolutely. Definitely rather be consumer in Europe than in the U.S., but business-wise, U.S. is easier for maybe, sure. And maybe cheaper. you should
0: start your business here and then go back to Ireland and then consume the products. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah, just buy from Europe and sell it to yeah. the U.S.
0: So what is your background? Are you an engineer?
1: No, I'm actually in finance. So I have the finance background uh, working in different banks and, and financial institutions uh, in, in kind of this legal and compliance area. So I guess i'm 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 okay with this all these laws and regulations because that's kind of what I do for years. so it's not you know it's not this big big shock for me, but I know for a lot of businesses, it's a big shock and a big expense as well because you know I can easily understand those laws and regulations and I'm like, okay, you know th- this is what I do so i I can easily go through those, but I know for some businesses where people are not familiar with it, it can be much bigger shock for 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 them to kind of go through all of it
0: is croatia similar to ireland in terms of the regulations
1: pretty much yes. Yeah. so on a whole eu croatia is in the eu as well so it's pretty much the same laws it's just probably a different agency in croatia than it is in ireland that that kind of regulates it and, and applies those laws but the, the rules are the same
0: wow everyone in america says like don't tell me what to do so for me this is like totally different from a business owner compared to how you guys operate yeah. What drove you to move from Easy. Croatia to Ireland? Uh,
1: it was just a kind of uh, business and jobs. Ireland is much better than Croatia was uh, when we moved out, was just joining the EU. So Croatia is a much poorer country. It's, it's much harder, you know, to, to build a career and to, to get better jobs. And even business wise, I think the, the taxes and everything, it's much easier in Ireland to, to kind of start a business and, and run a business as well.
0: So when did you move to Ireland?
1: we moved i think it was 2015 so some almost eight years ago now. okay
0: so you already had kids in croatia and then you moved everyone to we did yeah okay did your kids have trouble adjusting
1: not really they were all quite small when we moved uh so the oldest one was probably she was just starting school when we moved here uh it was maybe a shock for them for for the two or three months but we kind of before we moved we we started them on uh, youtube and cartoons in english okay. to to help settle learn the language but i'm i was shocked how how quickly they pick up the the new language they didn't know a word and you know three months later they have this perfect english perfect accent and everything and i'm i'm here you know a grown adult i'm struggling with accent to this day and some words and and some you know phrases and and how to speak because They just pick it up and they have the accent like they're born in Dublin. Wow.
0: So the main language in Ireland is English that you speak?
1: It is English in Ireland, Okay.
0: Is that Irish?
1: Uh, Irish is... rarely anyone speaks it. There are some certain areas in, in Ireland where people would speak Irish, but most people just speak English. And Irish is one of the mandatory kind of subjects that people need to learn in schools. But a lot of people just learn it and forget it. So it's kind of half dead language. Maybe Irish wouldn't agree, but uh, rarely anyone knows it. Rarely anyone speaks it.
0: Oh, I had no idea. I'm assuming everyone in Ireland speaks Irish and everyone has like red hair. But apparently that's not the case.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, not really, not really. But yeah, there is a lot of there's different schools and the whole community that really is trying to preserve the language. I don't know a single word, so I'm kind of, you know, Um, English, English is as far as I can go.
0: Yeah. I mean, you speak very well English, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. So how are you competing with these bigger companies as a small company?
1: So the main, I, I guess the main thing is I started doing these TikTok kind of short form videos and Twitter, Twitter has been great. I love Twitter and I've used Twitter since probably 2008, 2009, when I started my blogging. And then I stopped using it for a while and then I came back and I'm like okay Twitter is still fun and it's been great I think it, there's a, a whole community of this uh, kind of health related topics and uh the basically talking about what's good for you what's bad you know whether it's cosmetics whether it's food seed oils all of those things the community is booming on Twitter and I think it's a great great platform so I started there when I started the business, started tweeting a lot about different threads about whether I talk about toxic ingredients, whether I talk about good ones. So I, I try to provide this balance of education. That that's my main goal, really, in in marketing wise, is to educate the people, to educate the consumers, to say, you know, this is bad for you, and not just because I say so and it's marketing. But here are the studies, here are the links, here are the, you know, different different topics that you can uh, search for and kind of go down the rabbit hole if you want to research a certain ingredient and i really try to educate people on on common cosmetics on ingredients in those and how to recognize good ones from the bad ones and like, likewise i try to provide a bit of balance you know i don't want to be just bearing the ba- bad news all the time and saying to people everything is bad and then like Everything is terrible, but try to balance it out with you know what's good. So natural products, natural ingredients. Whether you talk about tallow or honey or different bee uh, products like propolis or, or beeswax. So I always try to bring this balance of good and bad on on, on that scale.
0: Do you get any pushback online about your natural products?
1: Yeah, depends. Depends on the video. Depends on 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 what it is. But yeah, we, we had some good ones. Uh, I think the the most uh, prominent one was, you know, the Sudocreme. I'm not sure if it's popular in the US. It's basically the the cream for the kids, like a diaper cream, and it's very popular in Ireland. It was made here. Uh, for one of the pharmacists from Dublin created the cream, and it's still produced in Ireland today. So Irish kind of take uh, it's it's a kind of a cult status uh, that Sudocreme has in Ireland. I made this video on TikTok where I talked about, you know, the bad ingredients inside of them. There's quite a few kind of stabilizers and preservatives that are not as good for 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 the skin. And I linked to studies and all that. Uh, and then it was this huge backlash in the comments, like, "Oh, what are we talking about? Sudo Cream is the best thing," because it it has this kind of a cult like status in Ireland, and everyone was like, "We're talking nonsense."
0: <laughs> Have any of the companies reached out and say, "Don't talk about our products"?
1: No, okay. not really. I hope you yeah. don't, but you never know. Well,
0: everybody in America. So they everyone is so litigious. They sue everyone. So if I say one bad thing about an American company, yeah. I'm like in jail the next week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there, there is that danger and the, and the risk, obviously, I, I don't try to, you know, bad mouth, just the product and say, Okay, this product is bad. But I always try to say why. And it, it's about the ingredient, you know, I don't think any product or any company wants to be bad on purpose. But due to profit and, and different things like that, it's the ingredients that they use that can be good or bad. And it's always different studies and different analysis that, that's done on that particular ingredient. So I always try to link to those and say, you know, not just me talking that some product is bad, but here are the links to studies and smarter people than me said something about those ingredients. And, and, and that's why I'm kind of always try to call those out.
0: That's why I was so attracted to your, I think I found you on TikTok or Instagram, Because not only did you have entertaining information, but you actually had the scientific literature to back it up behind it. Which, from what I normally see, either it's really good marketing, but terrible scientific information, or the opposite. And you have both, which is good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So
0: what advice would you have for somebody who's trying to start a small business in the health industry?
1: I guess the, the main thing is just go for it i think you know uh I, i'm not afraid of competition even if there's people who want to do the same thing that i'm doing i think the the space is so big and i think it's a great opportunity for for every single person or every single brand that wants to start and they wants to try and create something it's much harder than than it looks uh, once you start and once you go into it and then you want to create everything and you have all these big ideas so I think the, the main advice, main main tip is just start, just go, try, you know, try to make something, see where it leads you, iterate on that, and, and just keep keep pushing. That's what I keep tra- trying to say to myself as well, you know, to to keep myself motivated, just keep pushing every day.
0: I totally agree, and then we're, we seem to be around the similar age. It's like you're always like ten years away. Like when when you have an idea, it's like another decade till you actually like make that a full time career, a full time idea to fruition. And I think you're yeah. doing great. So we're coming up on the hour mark. I always have two questions when I end the podcast. The first is, what is the biggest takeaway you'd want the audience to have from this interview?
1: I guess the biggest takeaway is to whenever people go to a grocery store or whenever they buy something online is to look at the thing that says ingredients, you know, turn it around on small, uh, small print and see what's inside. And there's a good app that can help with that. It's called Yuka by UKA. Uh, I can send yeah. you a link if you, if you want to include it as well in the notes. It's a great thing. You basically open the camera on your phone, you scan the barcode and it gives every product a score from zero to a hundred, hundred being good and zero being bad. And then if there's any kind of problematic ingredients inside, you can get a link and details and links to studies and all of that. And it's basically how I start a research into every single ingredient and every single product. You, so you scan it and you see all the info. So I, I think that's the biggest takeaway, you know, scan your product, see what you're buying and, and kind of get to know the ingredients in, in that. This
0: Yuka you said? How do you spell that?
1: It's Y-U-K-A.
0: Y-U-K-A. Great. Okay. Yeah. Now, I think your products are amazing. I'm going to buy them as soon as we end this conversation. Can you tell everyone where to find your company, Ancestral Cosmetics, and how they can get a hold of you?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So it's AncestralCosmetics.com. Uh, on the, that's a shop. And then on the social media, it's ancestral skin on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all the social media. Where's
0: your biggest following is it on Twitter?
1: Uh, Twitter is quite good. Yeah. I'm I'm quite small. Just started on Instagram recently. Twitter and TikTok I think are, are the biggest ones. Okay,
0: great. Well, I had such a good time talking to you. I really appreciate this.
1: Same here. Yeah. Enjoy the
0: rest of the day and I hope to see you soon.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Mister. Thanks for the absolutely. Talk to you soon. See you. Bye bye.